Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. Hey everyone, just wanted to start this one off by saying this was recorded a little while back. Early October to be exact, on my way home from bear hunting in the UP. This is a very special guest to me personally. Mike Deaton is not a well-known figure in the tree dog world, but he is my mentor, not only in tree dogs, but in life. Him and his wife Becky became like parents to me while I was in college, and even to this day, while living over 400 miles apart, we're still very close. It was my honor to sit down and record this with Mike, and I will cherish this episode for many years to come. I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. I'm here tonight with my mentor and good friend, Mike Deaton. How you doing tonight, Mike? Not too bad. <laughs> you can be honest as you're recovering from surgery. Yeah. So, do you remember how we met? Yeah. You sent me an email that you were going to be starting school in the fall over in Worcester. Mm-hmm. And uh, that you were interested in learning about hunting with dogs kind of and wanted to know if uh, we could get together sometime and hopefully do some hunting together and just palling around maybe even pretty much and that's basically what I did. Yeah. <laughs> this became my home away from home for the two years I lived out here in Ohio. And I I remember your parents, uh, when they brought you over to tour the school, mm-hmm. uh, that their next stop was here at my house. Yeah, to make sure you weren't like some axe murderer. Yeah, yeah. Chainsaw murderer. All that good stuff. And here you are standing in the front yard with a big old pair of boots on, shorts, <laughs> big old wad of tobacco. <laughs> and my mom's like, what in the world? <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, no, I practically lived here for, like I said, two years. Yeah. Been out here pretty much every year since. Yeah. So... I think you've missed one year. I missed the fall, but then I came in the spring. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had a lot of fun together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of it, you know, circled around the dogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, And you uh, pretty much took over the reins of uh, working my Millie dog. Mm-hmm. and uh, handling her in some hunts and stuff for me. You would never sell her to me. No, I'd never sell her. She would have been a better dog if I would have owned her. <coughs> well, I've got a pretty decent dog out there now. He's young, mm-hmm. uh, and he can definitely tree coon. I still miss hunting with a dog to hunt squirrel. Mm-hmm. I've got one out there, but... He's getting so old that he's at least 12 or 13. Yeah. But last fall, he kind of put these young dogs to shame. Heck, even when we coon hunted him, he looked pretty good still. Yeah. He, uh, well, there were a couple nights I hunted him. The problem is you have to hunt him by himself and can't hunt him with another male dog. But he... Uh, treed more coon than the young dogs did Mm -hmm. when I would take him out. So what kind of dogs do you hunt? Uh, Predominantly mountain curs. And we've got a a tree and cur out there also that's, for a young, young dog, he's probably one of the best young dogs I've hunted with in quite a while. He's loud. He, yeah, he actually makes my ears hurt when I walk up to a tree. He has a good voice, and it carries. Yep. I was 
really surprised last year when I hunted with him. Now, how long have you been coon hunting? Well, I first started coon hunting the fall when I was uh, four years old. My dad and grandpa took me out with them, and we had two dogs. Uh, one of them was a walker hound, and the other one, at that age and everything, I was told it was a black and tan. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I realized that she was a leopard cur, mm-hmm. and uh, she was a decent coon hound. My grandpa went over to the Wayne County Fairgrounds, and there was a fellow there from Missouri that brought a load of dogs up to try and sell. And this would have been, oh, back about 1957. He went over there and purchased this dog. Lady was her name. And uh, he gave a whopping $50 for her, (laughs) which almost cost him a divorce. Grandma wouldn't speak to him for the longest time over that dog purchase. But she uh, finally accepted it. And then I guess when I started going with them, that, that made it even better. Now, when you got started, you said you were four. When did you actually start hunting your own dogs? Or hunting dogs for your, your dad or your grandfather or somebody? Yeah. Well, that was, that, that was the real nice thing about it. My grandpa continued to hunt with me up until, I don't know, 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, it was actually longer than that. I, I was in my early twenties uh, when he actually quit hunting with me due to health reasons, and so, mm-hmm. but we'd still try and sneak him out every once in a while, <laughs> or he'd just ride along and sit in the car and listen to the dogs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd done quite a bit of hunting. When I was 16, I had a couple friends that ran around with me, and uh, we each had a dog that could tree a coon, and we'd we'd get together on the weekends, and couldn't I couldn't go out during the week because it was a school night, and my parents wouldn't let me hunt through the week, but look out Saturday nights. <laughs> Now, were you running curs back then, or were you running hounds? Well, at that time, I was hunting a pair of black and tans that together could tree a coon. One of them would run track, and the other one would tree it. And I ended up getting rid of the male, and uh, my dad had traded a fella a butchering hog for a we don't know what he had any sure but he looked like a walker okay but he had a cur head on him and he was a pretty good dog at the time and i've had a red bone was a good young dog and somebody offered me more money than i thought she was worth so i sold her uh and then I guess when I really got into the cur dogs, I must have been about 14, and uh, Grandpa and I went to Kentucky. And while we were there, he bought a male dog off of his nephew that was half walker and half mountain cur. Okay. We called him Old Joe. And Old Joe was only two years old when we got him. And he. Hadn't been hunted on coon much, but he was a heck of a squirrel dog. Now, was that the first time you really squirrel hunted? That's the first time I really was introduced to squirrel hunting with a dog. Um, The little lady dog that Grandpa had got out of Missouri, she was a decent squirrel dog. Uh, Back then, we had more... Just about everybody would let you hunt back in the 50s and early 60s. And uh, every Saturday, we would, we would take her and we'd go squirrel hunting with her. And uh, 
we'd we'd kill a mess of squirrel with her every time we went out. Nice. And I yeah, you know, I can't really remember ever getting skunked squirrel hunting. Then of course, you know, we'd been coon hunting her too, so she she done real good on coon. And uh this Joe dog was just about like her. I started coon hunting him and uh he was a little rough at times, but he would eventually end up putting a tree on the end of it. Uh, he wouldn't say anything on track other than when he struck. He'd bark one time when he struck a track. And next time you'd hear him, he'd be, he'd be treed somewhere. Like I said, he'd always put a tree on the end of it, but it seemed to be a den tree. Now, I know you started doing a lot of competition hunting in, what, the late 80s? Yeah. And I think that evolved a lot around when you and Howard started hunting together, right? Yeah. Now, tell me about Howard. Howard was a -a one-of-a-kind fella, all you can say about him. And his name was Howard Harley. Howard Harley, yes. And uh, Howard and I hunted together for 21 years uh, before he died. And, matter of fact, this month will be, I believe it's the 12th anniversary of his death at the end of October here. Uh, But, you know, he was always quick with a one-liner, and he'd he'd constantly keep you rolling in laughter. And uh, Howard was was kind of a hard guy to get to know. And uh, at the time, I had another dog that was uh, half walker and half mountain cur. Uh, His name was Dilly, and he was a Dilly. (laughs) Uh, And then I had a a registered black and tan that I got off another friend of mine, Ronnie Miller. And I hunted that pair of dogs for Oh, probably three years. Now, when you started hunting with Howard, what was he hunting? When I started hunting with Howard, he had a dog that he called uh, Harley's Tree and Sport. And he was a dog that was half Airedale and half Walker Hound. And... But he was Brindle. <laughs> Somewhere, somehow. Some, yeah, he was, he was Brindle-striped. He had some brindle in him. There were actually nights that, that I was hunting with that dog that I thought he could invent a coon. I don't ever remember coming out of the woods with at least one coon. Anytime we hunted that dog, one night we killed 25 coon with him and, and a male dog that I bought off of him. And... uh it was ironic. We we started hunting together, and Dilly slick treated a couple times that night, and he just he just wouldn't hunt with sport. And I don't know if he was being jealous or what, but you wouldn't hear anything out of him until sport treat, and then the opposite direction, a couple hundred yards, he would start treating. Mm-hmm. And I'd go and look, and it'd just be slicker than all get out. So I ended up, I I sold Dilly and the Black Dog to a fella uh, two or three weeks after I started hunting with Howard. And I would go with him, and I didn't even have a dog at the time. And, uh, you know, Howard told me, he says, well, if you're going to hunt with me, you're going to have to get a dog that'll tree a coon. And he just happened to have one. He said he would sell me reasonable. And I, I'd give $300 for him. He was a quarter walker, quarter Airedale, and half leopard cur. And his name was Hawk. And he was the second ugliest dog. He looked like an old English sheep dog. I'd actually say he was probably uglier than sport. <laughs> Uh, yeah. You have to realize Sport was a, a wiry, wiry-haired brindle in white with a big old flag tail. Yep. yep. <laughs> Definitely not and what you would see too often. Yeah. Well, how I met Howard 
uh, we had a club that we used to call the North Central Ohio Squirrel Dog Club. And we started holding competition hunts. And we had a, we were holding our hunts out of Rochester, Ohio at the time. And Howard came up to the hunt with some of his friends. And, you know, he, he just sat around the clubhouse. And I says, well, how come you aren't hunting? And he says, well, my dog's registered, but I don't know anything about these competition hunts here. So he said, I just thought I would take it in and see see what was going on. So I got to know him. I'd sit on the tailgate with him at these hunts and stuff and talk to him. And, and uh, finally he told me, he said, well, why don't we go hunting while we're waiting on everybody to get back to the clubhouse? I said, well, we can do that. So we went down behind his house and turned out and all I remember is we caught a pile of coon that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went back to the clubhouse with like 1,400 plus points. If, if he had been in the competition, he'd have had 1,400 plus points. It was, oh, a couple months before him and I started hunting just about every day together. We would either squirrel hunt together or we would coon hunt together. And when season come in that year, first thing he asked me was, how many coon do you want to catch this year? And I said, well, I'd like to catch 150. Said, okay, that's what we're going to shoot for. What were coon hides bringing at that time? What's that? So what were coon hides bringing? Oh, gosh. The year before, I sold coon hides for $28 a piece put up. And so we started hunting together and, you know, while our, we were walking through the woods, conversation, I says, I, you know, how in the world did, did you get that fuzzy-faced dog registered uh, with the National Kennel Club? And he said, well, it's almost the same way I met you. He said, I was at a hunt. And at that time, Melvin Hopper owned NKC. And he was up here, he actually was going to be the master of the hounds because it was a hound hunt. So Howard took him out coon hunting. And at the end of two hours, Sport had showed him 12 coon that they treat in an hour's time. Impressive. They decided they better get headed back toward the clubhouse. So they were sitting there on the tailgate. Howard had hollered for old Sport. And was just waiting on him to come in. And supposedly Melvin told Howard, he said, man, he said, you should be hunting that dog in these night hunts. And Howard says, well, I can't register him. He's just an old mixed up dog. And Melvin says, well, by golly, I own NKC. And if I want to register that dog, I'll register him. <laughs> and Howard says, well, what in the world would you call him? And Melvin replied, well, I'll say one thing. He is a tree dog. I've never seen nothing like him. He's definitely a tree dog. Melvin thought for a little bit. and He says, well, he's an American bred cur dog. So thus, the tree and cur or American tree and cur breed was established that night. And Old Sport was the first American tree and cur registered with the NKC. And back then, there were plenty of squirrel hunts for cur dogs going on, but there weren't that many hunts going on for cur dogs for coon hunting. So we started holding more night hunts, and, uh, well, this was, this was before our club uh, organized, but Howard would have started attending these uh in KC night hunts. Mm-hmm. Well, he ended up making sport a night champion hunting again hounds. Okay. He was the only cur dog that was there. Everything else was a hound. Mm-hmm. And he went on to finish him into a grand night champion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, didn't you hunt him in a couple of world hunts? Yeah, in uh, 1989, Howard and I went to Elnora, Indiana, and competed in the uh, 
National Courier and Feist Association's World Hunt. I finally looked them up and figured them up one day. And in order to be a squirrel champion, you had to have a first place win and accumulation of championship points uh, of 100 points. You had to have first place and 100 points cumulative to uh, make your dog a, a squirrel champion. I started counting them up because we, we started hunting sport kind of hot and heavy, uh, and we went all over uh, West Virginia, Indiana, Illinois, went to, went to some up in Michigan. Obviously and, all over Ohio. <laughs> yeah. We, I never could get a first-place win with him, or Howard couldn't. It didn't, didn't matter which one of us was handling him. We just could not get a first-place win with him. But I hunted him in the squirrel hunt down there, and uh, I come in third overall. I forget how many points I had, but it was, it was over 400 points and, and got third place with him. And then I hunted him in the night hunt, and I came in that night with 850 points. I figured that was, you know, I won my cast. Uh, and then when we got back to the clubhouse and they all the figuring and everything was done, he was declared a world champion mm-hmm. through the, uh, the National Current Vice Bridges yeah. Association. Yeah. And then to my surprise, he was also named the high scoring combination dog for both coon and squirrel that year. Nice. And uh so that was nineteen eighty nine? Okay. Eighty nine or ninety one of them in there. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it's eighty nine. And of course, you know, I brought home two great big trophies that would hardly fit in the back seat of the truck. Surprisingly, Howard looked at him, admired him, but he didn't want them. A couple of weeks later, of course, you know, we got a certificate from him, and uh, it had it right on there. World champion Harlings, Harley's Tree and Sport. We lost sport. I think I hunted eight years with him, and we lost sport. Uh, he had cancer. Howard had him put down. And, well, the only thing we had to hunt at the time was my hawk dog. He would tree coon but it was almost like his heart wasn't in it. Yeah. He missed hunting with his daddy is what it was, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, yeah, because you guys hunted those two together for a long time. Well, you? yeah, we used sport to train hawk with. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there were nights that that hawk would, he'd put it on the old man. Uh, he, he'd get first strike and first tree and... You know, it surprised me that he'd done it, but, you know, uh, they made one awesome pair of dogs when you cut them loose. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was this was back about the time tracking collars and stuff came out. We had gotten one of the telemetry systems. It would work if the dogs were within a couple even 300 yards from you. You know, you point it in their direction and he'd start going beep, 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 beep. But if they got half a mile or more out of pocket, mm-hmm. you couldn't hardly find them at times. I can remember one night we were hunting in the sound. The dogs were south of us. And we walked and we walked and we walked. No signal whatsoever. And couldn't hear them anymore. Well, they're not ahead of us. They've got to be behind us. So we started back north through the woods, and we were able to hear them again and kept kept going and uh, even crossed the road and got up there, and here they had a coon in the overflow pipe on a pond. Okay. He was backed in there about four foot, 
and there's only room for one dog at a time to get in there. And uh, they wouldn't go in the culvert after him, but uh, he come out of there eventually. <laughs> but they that pair of dogs, they just I'd have followed that pair of dogs anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I know you've told me a lot of a lot of different stories of those too. That's kind of why I wanted to, and also just the cool history of the tree and cur breed with sport. Yeah, that's why I was wanting to ask you about them, but. Uh, You've had a lot of curs, and I know you and Howard hunted together for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, when I started hunting with you, you had a you had a pretty good dog, Lady. Yeah, Lady. Tell me a little bit about Lady. At the time, I was I was hunting a mountain cur male that Howard owned. Uh, his name was Blackie, and. Whenever we would show up at a hunt, it always seemed that I drew out with the same fella, uh, Al Wygant. Al had a little yellow mountain cur female he called Al's lady. It was a real joy hunting with Al. I, I believe he was one of the fairest guys when it come to a hunt that I was ever in the woods with. You know, one week I would win with Blackie. The next hunt, Al would win with Lady. And it was just nip and tuck back and forth like that for well over a year. We had a local squirrel hunt up here at Nova. And, of course, Al and I drew out together. And uh, so we went in here behind my house, parked over here by the school, and went back in there. It was, oh, it was mid-May, and, you know, the leaves were just starting to bud out on the trees. So we cut the dogs loose, and they both shot in there, and I don't even remember which one treed first, but we saw the squirrel, scored it, sent them out again, and same thing, went to them, had to meet, and we went on. Well, we crossed over onto a neighbor's property, and that particular day I was dressed all in camo, and I kept noticing Al standing there looking around. After I'd seen him do this a couple times, I said, Al, what are you looking for? Oh, there you are. I was looking for you. Oh, you can't see me in all this camouflage? No, he said, I couldn't see you. You know, I was standing five feet from him. So we continued on, and then I noticed I started keeping a close eye on him. Then he kept stumbling like and catch himself on a tree. And he'd hang on to that tree and stand there and look around for a while. And, you okay, Al? Oh, yeah, there you are. Okay, yeah, I'm right behind you. And he just, he just kept getting worse. And the dogs treed. So we went, we started to him, and he went down on me. I helped pick him back up and everything and dust him off. And I said, Al, are you okay? Yeah. He said, it's getting awful warm today. He said, I just, I'm having a little trouble. And I says, well, what we're going to do, we're going to call this hunt right now. Dogs are treed. They'll be there. I said, come on, let me get you out to the edge of the woods here. So I put his arm over my shoulder, and him and I walked out of the woods together, and there was a little crabapple tree sitting there, and I set him down under that tree, and I said, now you stay right here until I get back. I'm going to go get the truck. Oh, I can make it. No, no you, just, you just sit here and rest in the shade of this tree. So I run all the way back to the school, got my truck, and drove right up to him. And I helped him get in the truck, and I turned the air conditioning on. And I says, how's that feel? He said, oh, that's a lot better. And I said, well, you just wait here while I go get the dogs. He said, okay. So I went in. You know, looked up there, set the squirrel, and I'd have beat him that day. <laughs> but anyhow, I uh, caught Lady, 
and I put Blackie on a heel, and we all walked out together, the three of us. I loaded him up in the truck, went back to the clubhouse. And he sat around there for a while, and he, he drank, drank a couple glasses of ice water. After about 45 minutes, he came back to his old, old self. Mm-hmm. You know, we just sat around there. I scratched our cast and forgot about it. And uh, the rest of the fellows, they came in, and we done the paperwork and handed out the awards and everything to the other contestants, and I started talking with Al again. I says, Al, you got anybody to come and get you? No, he said, I can make it home. And I said, well, you got your phone with you. Yeah, yeah. So I started looking through his phone, and I said, well, who's this? Oh, that's my daughter. Okay, well, I'm going to use your phone in a minute. So long story short, I called the da- daughter, and she says, I'll just put him in the truck and send him home. He'll, he'll find his way home. And found another daughter, and I tried her, and I basically got the same response. Well, I don't have any way of getting over there to get him. I said, okay, we'll take care of it. So I went to my buddy Howard and handed him my truck keys, and I says, follow me. He says, where are we going? I says, we're going to take a scenic route and go to Worcester. So I got in a truck with Al. I drove him home, and Howard followed me, and we went up and sat on the porch with Al for a while and, and chatted with him just to make sure he was okay. And I said, well, Al, it's getting late. I says, I'll go put your dog in the kennel for you. And, of course, he said, well, I would appreciate that. And so I took her down and put her in her kennel. And I come back up, and we said our goodbyes, and I went on home. Now, this was on a Saturday. The following Wednesday, I got a phone call from Al. He says, what are you doing? I said, nothing, just sitting around the house here. And he says, come on over. I I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I said, you care if Howard comes with me? No, bring Howard along with you. Okay. So I called Howard up. What are you doing? Nothing. Get your glad rags on. We're going to on a road trip. Okay. Bunch when of I old got, retired men. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, you bunch of old retired men. They have nothing better to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, I pulled up in front of his house, and he's just standing at the edge of the road waiting on me. He jumped in, and he where are we going? I said, we're going to Al Wygant's house. And he says, well. What are we going there for? I said, he called me and told me to get over there. Oh, okay. So we go <laughs> over to Al's, and he's sitting there on the front porch in the swing, swinging on the front porch. And we walked up, and we sat there and socialized with him a little bit. And, and I says, well, Al, you said you, 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 know, you needed to talk to me. What's up? He handed me six different registry registration papers on Lady. And he had signed off on every one of those registrations. And he said, I want you to take Lady and continue to hunt her. He said, I've gotten to the point I just, my health will not permit me to do it anymore. And he said, I know you like that dog. And he says, I'm sure you'll give her a good home. And I said, well, yeah, of course I would, Al, but. You know, gee whiz, you you can't just can't quit that like that. And he, yeah, I can. And he says, I have one request. I said, you name it. And he said, I want you to find the best stud dog that you can find and get her bred. And he said, I want one pup. I don't know why I want that pup, but he said, I want a pup out of her. He says, go down there in the kennel and get her. So I went down, put a lead on her set her up, put her in the dog box, and went back over, and we talked to Al for a little bit more. We said our goodbyes, and we came home. Now, she was out of a pretty well-known mountain cur cross, wasn't she? She was out of the first cross made between Jukebox, Chuck Gatto's Jukebox, 
and Gary Deaton's female. Queenie too, wasn't it? Queenie too, yeah. That cross produced quite a few good dogs. Yes, and and they were. This was the first time that they had made that cross. And it was made a couple times. And they made it several times after that. And Marcus Allen ended up buying a male and a female pup out of that first litter. He liked the male dog better. His name was Gold Golden Eagle Baxter. So when I had Lady here. I got a hold of Marcus Allen, and we had a good conversation about mountain curs in general, and he invited me up to go hunting with him. So we went for a little hunt across the road from where he lived there, and I'm telling you, it was just nip and tuck between them two Mm -hmm. and their full brother and sister. Marcus, to this day, still has that bloodline running through his dogs. He enjoys having mountain curves. Always will. Now, when I moved here, I got I got lucky. Um, we had Blackie, Lady, Millie, and you had that other little little dog poke. And Lady was like ten, if I'm remembering correctly. Because we took Lady we took Lady to New Philly the first year I was here, and we hunted her in the World Squirrel Hunt at ten years old. Yeah, and she made it the second round where we hunted against her brother. And Jam and Bo. And Bo won. Yeah. Now, you bred her. I, yes, I took her and bred her. I wanted to breed her to Alan Franklin's Thunder Dog. Mm -hmm. I took her down there, but Thunder just wasn't able to breed her. Okay. So, Alan called me up and says, hey, don't look like Thunder's going to be able to breed your female Mm -hmm. and he says before you know she gets too far out of season do you want her bred to sport i said yeah go ahead and breed her to sport and that's thunder sport yeah thunder sport she had seven pups i ended up keeping two of shawnee was one of them dixie was the other dixie i just at the time, I did not have the time to work with them. I got them started pretty decent, but I was never able to finish them. One of them, I sold her to Randy Garner, and he just let her run loose over there, and she made one heck of a squirrel dog. I regret <laughs> I regret letting him have her. But you were able to buy Millie back at, what, nine yeah, months, ten months? I, uh, she was pretty young when you got her back. Yeah. I, I well... There again, Howard and I had gone to Elnora, and I took, I think I had three pups left. The one was a, uh, she was a blue with white trim on her. This fella from Illinois, water, down there at Elnora. And he took her when, you know, he took her when the hunt was over, and we went our merry ways. Long story short, I contacted this fella, asked him if he still had her, and he said he did. I asked him if there was any chance he would sell her. He says, yeah, I'll sell her. I said, well, what do you got to have out of her? Is she doing anything? He said, oh, she'll tree. She's she's a good tree dog. He says, we just do not have any game around here to hunt hunt on. I said, well, what do you got to have for her? And he told me $300. So I called a friend of mine. Uh, at that time, I was working at uh, Charles Mill Park as a uh, ranger for the park. I had already retired. I retired in 2002, and I called Jeff, asked him what he was doing Saturday, and he said, well, nothing that I know of. And I said, well, we got a road trip. Said, okay, where are we going? I said, We're going to Illinois. What for? Pick up a dog. He said, okay, I'll be ready. So I picked Jeff up, and we drove straight out there, looked at the dog, uh, walked up to the kennel and looked at her, and she backed away from me growling. And I said, oh, this ain't going to be good. You know, the guy, I can't even remember his name, he come over and talked to her. He said, now she's going to take a little while to get used to it. He says, because she's, I'm the only person she's ever seen. So, you know, I bought her, brought her home. 
after she made up with me, which took about two weeks before she'd even trust me, I took her to my son-in-law's and cut her loose. She'd make one or two barks, and that's all you'd hear out of her. I'd go, I'd go to her, and she'd be standing there looking up a tree, or she'd be standing on the tree looking up. And, you know, of course, I could see the squirrel sitting up there. So I hissed her on a little bit. She barked a couple more times. Well, I knocked the squirrel out to her, cut her loose again. And this time, she treed. She barked six times. So I went in, and I really, you know, I was a rubbing her and a hissing her on, and she cut loose and started barking every breath. Well, I rolled that one out to her, and I sent her on down through the woods, and no time at all, she come tree. And this time, there was no doubt in my mind she, she was treed. Mm-hmm. She was barking every breath. And I went in there, and she had the squirrel, and I rolled that one out to her, and we never looked back. Mm-hmm. Lady started failing on me, and uh, I went down to feed the dogs one night there about 11 o'clock, and I opened her kennel up, and she just lay in there shivering. So I just opened the door and says, Go to the house, old girl. You deserve it. And she come right straight to the house and was just sitting there at the back door waiting on me when I got done with the dogs and come in. And uh, she lived the life of luxury as a house dog for three she more did. years. She had her chair, and she had her nice little spot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She she had her a nice recliner, not a recliner, but an overstuffed chair. And uh, by golly, that was her chair. Yes, it was. And... None of the other dogs, house dogs, would even think about challenging her for it. I just remember, like I said, you had Blackie, her, Lady, and Poke. Well, probably the four, you had a bunch of other dogs too, but we're the four dogs we really, yeah, really hunted yeah. and actually were, were doing good. You had some other dogs. Um, unfortunately, I never got to hunt with Howard, and you had a lot of his older dogs that, or dogs that he didn't get to hunt very much just because of his age. and Right. So they just, you know, weren't the, <laughs> the best. But so as far as Mountain Kerr lines of dogs, what did you prefer? What do you still prefer? In my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, any Mountain Kerr that has the old jukebox blood in them and Alan's Thunder Dog or Thunder Sport, the ones I've had, they just seem to make tree dogs. Yeah. I don't know what there is about that cross, but the last litter, I, I bred Lady twice, and the first litter of pups, I didn't keep track of. And they went, well, we, we hauled one to Texas. Met the guy halfway uh, in, I think, St. Louis is where we met him at. But the second time I bred her. I bred her back to the sport dog, and I kept track of those pups. I had several of the guys that had bought them call me back occasionally and, and tell me how good a dog they had turned out to be. I had one fella, he bought a pair of them, a male and a female, and he says, them's the game trainest dogs I've ever been in the woods with. Of course, again, that's been so long ago. So what's the future look like? What do you got out there now? What have I got out there now? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Tucker. Well, I bought Tucker last fall. He he's a, he's four now, coming four. He's coon dog. That's all there is to it. Uh, I haven't. I've only hunted him a couple times during the daytime on squirrel. Mm-hmm but we never treated anything at the two times that I had him out. Then I have a older male, Roscoe. He's out of Jay Overholtz, 
line of dogs. Oh, okay. Uh, and how he was bred. Hmm? I said I wasn't sure how he was bred. Yeah. He was out of, he was out of Jay's Hawkeye dog. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to Alan's breeding. My wife keeps asking me, why do you keep feeding all them old dogs down there? Well. They can still tree a coon. <laughs> because they can still tree a coon. He showed up some young dogs last year. Yes, he did. You don't realize by now, and absolutely you should, that I like my dogs. I've got, I don't know, 17 or 18 now. i got That's beagles. I've crazy. got livestock guard dogs. Labs. Labs. And a bunch of cur dogs. And a whole bunch of cur dogs. I'm laid up after back surgery here, and both of the dogs are suffering from it because they're hanging out in the kennel. So, Well, hopefully you can get mended up pretty quick and get out there. Because yeah. this year, what's consec- you've made how many consecutive opening nights? Oh, 63 consecutive opening nights of coon season. And if it's good Lord's will and I make it till November the 10th, it'll be 64 years. So well, I certainly hope you're able to get out there. Your side-by-side will definitely be helpful this year. Yeah, but I got to put brakes on it. I'm getting tired of running into buildings to get stopped. <laughs> yep. So, well, it's getting late, so let's wrap this up. Got one other thing I do have to tell you. The first year at Howard and I hunted together, and he asked me how many coon I wanted to catch. Mm-hmm. I told him 150 coon. Mm-hmm. And when it rolled around to the last night of season that year, we had 149 coon. And Howard called me up. What are you doing? I'm sitting here bored. Why? Let's go coon hunt. Are you nuts? I said, it's six degrees out there. Well, so? He said, I got to get out of this house. Your woman's driving me crazy. And I said, well, okay, let's go. So we had sport and my hawk dog, and we dropped into the woods there below his house, and we were wearing snowmobile suits that night. It was so cold. Them two dogs went to tree and i told her i said i don't believe that so we went to them and there was a big tree had fallen and was laying parallel with the creek and there was a big knot hole in it and you could see by the tracks a coon had come out of that log and walked down a limb and there was just a little trickle of water running through there. And that coon got it a drink and went right back up that uh, limb and back into that den. Howard says, well, we may get that 150th coon. After all, back then I always carried a bicycle mirror. It had a swivel on it. So I stuck my light in the hole and then held that bicycle mirror. And the coon was sitting about 12 inches from the edge of that hole. And I told Howard, I said, he's in there. We're going to do it. So I pulled my pistol out and stuck my pistol back in the hole. And when I felt that coon bite the end of the barrel, I pulled the trigger. That coon started kicking and scooting and pushed itself all the way up to that hole. And old sport went in and grabbed him by the neck, and brought him out. And so we made our 150th coon that year. I don't know that I'll ever have a dog of that caliber again to catch that many coon, but I I do know, in testament to Howard, that I have never had as much fun coon hunting as I did with him. He was just, why he was, he was my best friend at the time, and uh, we did everything together. We mm-hmm. squirrel hunted, coon hunted, groundhog hunted, uh, deer hunted. Well, Mike, I really appreciate 
appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk to me tonight as I crash at your house. Well, it was a pleasure. And I appreciate you've taught me a lot over the years. Anytime I've ever had a question, you're typically the first person I've called. And just also when I when I got some dogs and you were you gave me dogs and I hunted your dogs and I learned a lot through all that and you gave me basically the keys to your house and just said get a tracker, get a dog and go. Yep. yep. And you know, I I wouldn't be where I am today as far as these dogs are concerned in any any way if it wasn't for you. Like I said, just basically giving me the keys to your house and saying, Hey, come over whenever. Whenever you have time, just come over and get a dog. Yep. Which I did quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yes. Like you you'd be well, off doing other things and you you're the one uh, responsible for making Millie who she was. Uh, you had to have wore out a pair of boots, maybe two, following that little dog around. You know, I I really appreciated you handling them and hunting them for me. Everybody keeps trying to tell me to slow down, and you yourself know better than anybody that's something that's hard for me to do. Yep. Hopefully, after this injury and the surgery, I uh, will at least be able to take the dogs to the woods opening night, and if I have to, do a one-and-done and come on back to the house. Okay. Alrighty, let's get to bed because it's it's getting late. Yep. <laughs> Alrighty. What do you mean? This is just this is just my time to start stirring. Oh my. <laughs> Before closing this podcast out, I just want to let you all know that Mike did in fact make it out for a sixty fourth consecutive opening night of Coon Season. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Also, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon, which will have some bonus podcasts in the near future. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep on talking in the timber.